0: Listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On The Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education go to www.qr.com.au G'day and thanks once again for joining us for episode 99 of On The Road. It's a jam-packed full show this week featuring interviews with Brad Millseed, Adam Gibson and Luke McCrone, as well as all the latest from the On The Road newsroom, along with brilliant new Aussie music from Travis Collins and Beau Ness. And if you think this week's show is a biggie, just wait and see what we've got in store for you next week in our Monster Episode 100 show. But in the meanwhile, it's time we got this week's show rolling. So.
1: Let's get this show on the road! Yeah, get over there!
2: Hey, I'm Yogi from Outback Truckers. And when I'm on the road, we're
3: always on the road doing stuff out on the road. But when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. Right? <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Truck and Radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of trucking classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage, our email address Big Rig Radio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com.
2: Brad Billseed from Western Australia joins us today on the podcast. Brad's a farmer over there. I believe he farms a bit of grain and a few sheep running around on the place. And he's got a passing interest in men's mental health. I came across him on Twitter.
4: Brad, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? Mike, thank you very much for the invite and the interest in the burblings about 6 bees. And, <laughs> mate, I'm going all right. Thank you very much. How are you?
2: All right. Well, we're going to talk about 6 bees, but I want to know some other stuff first, mate. Your farm, how big is your place that you work?
4: Yeah, mate. Yep. I'm part of a family farming operation here. It's a mixed enterprise, as you've already alluded to, so crops and self-replacing merino flocks. Hmm. The, the grain is probably the real profit driver or or pays the majority of the bills, but nice to have the diversity of sheep still involved. Yep. So farming with a father and an uncle and a cousin and myself. So just a couple acres then? I introduced it as the world's biggest hobby farm slash retirement village, mate. <laughs> yeah, we got 3,600 hectares or 3,100 of those are arable that we can crop. Right. Yeah, we've got about two-thirds of it under crop this year and uh, 1,300 ewes and lambs at foot. It's unreal, mate. I honestly don't know how you
2: guys do it. I see the headers out in the paddock and harvest and you blokes don't stop and the grain tippers and that running around. And I was over there in WA last year, as you're probably well aware, and I was carting around a couple of nutrient tankers delivering the flexi in around the place. I was amazed at the size of some of the properties and the amount of equipment that you guys have.
4: It's just incredible. There are some very, very big operations going around nowadays it's an amazing industry to be involved with, just the fact that generally we're all very inclusive of each other. We love sharing what we're doing professionally, giving everyone else hints and tips of what we've done right and what we've done wrong. And yeah, it is an amazing industry, that is for sure. Great to be a part of. And so you're north of Perth, you're not from down the south, there's still a call at the Wheat belt where you are? Yeah, we're in the Midwest. Our local town is Wathero, in the northern end of the Shire of Mora. So, yeah, we're actually exactly halfway between Perth and Geraldton. Yep. And an hour inland off the coast from Durian Bay. So, uh, yeah, no, still well and truly broadacre ag and wheat belt here. Yeah, not a bad place to be.
2: That's nice. Hey, what happened to the Moorah School, do you know? Did they end up closing then or not?
4: No, it was just the residential college there that the uh, Labor government over here decided would be a good cost saving for them. And when they first got in and we were very, very vocal locally, the importance of that college for the 30 students that reside there that attend the local senior high school really is critical for this area. And to be fair at the time... It draws or it has students from an area bigger than Victoria, basically, yeah, is the size of the area that it services in terms of it's the only residential college in that size of an area. So it is critical to the locals Fought very hard and strong and very vocal about it. And we're fortunate the federal Liberal government came in and uh, propped it up a bit with money and put the pressure on the state government to reverse their decision and keep it open the basic upgrade that was required there to make the facilities a little bit better.
2: So it sort of looks all right and sort of set up going into the future. It's not going to be something that they're going to just change their mind
4: on down the track. No, no. The investment's been made now and Uh probably big picture, there are probably some small regional primary schools that are servicing very low numbers of students that probably should be rationalised and closed but unfortunately the government at the moment are uh, certainly sitting on their hands and, and not making any of those moves at this stage. But no, the more a Residential College at this stage is very, very safe, I would think.
2: Oh, that's good. That was just a matter of interest, just a question that popped up because I knew about it. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that intrigued me when I was over there. There was a, a lot of screaming and shouting about it and I never
4: ever heard what the end result was, so that's good. Yes, great result for the school, the town, the shire and, and Western Australia, really. So yeah, a good decision at the end of the day.
2: So tell us a little bit about your local community, mate.
4: We're quite fortunate here. Our local town of Wotheroo technically doesn't have a shop and the post office has been combined in with the pub. So uh, it's quite handy at about five o'clock and go in and check the mail. Hmm. Maybe sneak a quite in to <laughs> wash the dust away from the day. No, but our local shopping centre is in Morro, so that's for us. It's 38 kilometres. Yeah, right. 25 minutes away and there's really good medical services there. There's a doctor that's got three or four doctors working out of that office. There's a hospital, which was also a bit of a fight with the state Labor government, probably about 20 years ago to have that upgraded. So really and truly the Shire of Mora is quite well resourced in that regard. But you don't step too far outside of the boundary and uh, yeah, all of a sudden there's lots of traffic attracted to Mora to fulfil their shopping needs and their medical and their education and those sort of services as well are based out of there, mate.
2: Right, oh. The six B's webpage. I've had a bit of a look at that, mate, and it's an interesting looking thing. Your six Bs and you've probably heard this before, in fact
4: I know you have. You're sure to be, mate. Yes. I have had this brought up with me before, Mike. (laughs) Several fellas reckon there should be the seventh B there of uh, boobs, but. um, That's right. I reckon there's enough of us blokes getting a bit of trouble with boobs, or as you know, what's the saying? If it's got boobs or wheels, it's going to cause you hassles.
2: Yeah, I've heard that before, mate, and I know it's true from personal experience. So the six B's are about the things that men can do together, I suppose, and try and look after their mental health. Obviously, let's just just crack them out. There's the blokes, because we're often forgotten. The barbecue, so you can get together and a bit of a barbecue. Bonfires, beers, bonding, and bullshit. Yes. So, blokes standing around having a beer at a barbecue and just bullshitting to each other and talking about the cares of the day leads to other conversations I know from experience. And sometimes you can get the best feedback and the best mateship from that sort of casual, informal surrounding. And you don't know how much you're going to help someone, do you?
4: No, that's dead right, Mike. The saying is, I've never known anybody to stand around a microwave and have a yarn.
5: <laughs>
4: it's funny, but regional living, a real important part of the social fabric is either your team sports, so your sporting clubs, which here in Motheru, part of the catalyst when we first cranked the 6Bs up was we don't have any male team sports left here. Yeah, But yeah, you've either got sporting clubs or the local watering hole. And, I've worked out not everybody likes sport mm. not everybody enjoys going to a pub but I haven't come across anybody that doesn't mind standing around a fire and uh, yeah as you say just having a chat to a mate discussing life as it is that can sometimes lead to a bit deeper discussions yeah
2: mate, we're going to just stop and have a quick break and we'll come back and I want to talk to you about how it got started what you're doing and what you've got coming up you coming there Andy yeah, mate, you go. Mate, we're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're gonna be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. We'd want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they?
0: They're stuck to the tracks,
2: mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like
0: that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailers.
2: Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny though when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go after you, old mate.
0: This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au.
2: And we're back. Brad Millseed from Western Australia, the guy with the six B's. Mate, how did you get started with it? What was the catalyst that made it all come together?
4: As I said, Mike, I was missing the team sport here and it was on the back of an initiative of the Movember Foundation on May the 8th to make it mate day and checking on a mate. Mm. So it was back in 2017. We'd had a little bit of a dry start to the year over here, so there wasn't too much seeding going on early in May. So we had some trees that had come down in paddocks and whatever that we'd collected and stacked up into a bit of a bonfire that we hadn't quite got around to burning in preparation for the seeding, basically. Mm. So I bounced it off a couple of local mates and said, got this pile here, what do you reckon if we have bonfire next Tuesday? Mm. I didn't drop out the May 8th day, but yeah, it was on May the 8th, 2017. They both thought it was a bloody good idea, so... I just flicked out the text message locally here, but as you said, I'm on Twitter and I happened to put it up on Twitter, the fact that we were doing it Hmm. and the ABC regional drive radio program got hold of it and wanted to have a chat. I was just having a bit of a think about what I was going to talk about and that's when the six Bs came to mind that they were going to be the six main components of it. As you said, there was blokes, there was going to be a barbecue, there was going to be a bonfire. There will be beers and there'll be bonding and we all know that those beers and bonding always leads to a bit of bullshit. (laughs) So that's the background to how it started basically. I was, yeah, just missing my mates that we're all growing our own businesses and we had families that were getting older and, yeah, we're just missing out on uh, catching up with each other. So uh, that was the idea to try and get the band back together. It's a great idea and, as you
2: say, There are these things that are missing out because farming, like trucking, can be a pretty solitary existence. You spend a lot of time at work and precious little time to be able to socialise or you know do anything else. Is
4: that the case for you guys over there? Yeah, it is, mate. We're all connected more than ever before thanks to mobile phones and SMS and social media and all the rest of that that goes with it. But we're probably less connected than ever before as well because we're running out of those opportunities to actually catch up face to face and have a yarn. Hmm. Humans are herd animals. Even the most introverted person that doesn't like being around people, we we all still need contact with other people along the way. So we are herd animals and that face-to-face contact and chat is just absolute gold and very, very vital.
2: So what's coming up in the future, mate? You were talking about having an event at Pingerup, which will be this weekend.
4: What's happening there? Yeah, look. It's funny, in the past it's been individuals will make contact with me and say, oh, I want to hold a six bees, and I'll go, yep, no, that's great. You organise it because you're going to host it and you're going to know your target audience better than I can try and guess it. So the one at Pingra up this weekend is organised by the CRC there, so the Community Resource Centre at Pingra is organising it. Yeah, it's cool. We had one earlier this year up in Perendry that the Shire organised up there. Just recently had one for the Think Mental Health round of uh, winter sport. Went up to the Morawa Tigers up there, the home of the Tigers, and had a chat to them after training on Thursday. So it's starting to go from individuals to organisations that are keen on hosting them and putting them on, and um, I can't get to them all. Like, the, the Six Bees isn't a charity. It, it doesn't pay my wage, basically. It's not a money spinner at all, so... It's fortunate we've been able to connect with a few other blokes over here that have sort of stood up and become, I'll coin the phrase, the community champions on our behalf, basically. So, mm. ping up, we got a good fella from down at Esperance Way. Uh, Greg Kerno or Grog Kerno, as he introduces himself. Mm. Funnily enough, Mike, I've never seen him and Macca off the TV at the same <laughs> venue. I reckon they could be one and the same. They're very, very similar-looking cats. Brothers from another mother. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, no, Grog will be wandering along there, and then we've got another good community uh, champion from Arthur River in Sam Burgess, mm. who's very prolific on social media, and he does a lot of work for us representing the six Bs, and these fellas just get along like this. Out of six Bs, there's no agenda, there's no program, there's no process. It's just very, very informal. Those two actually really inspire me. They get along and tell their story. Mm. Both of them have got a very real story that just resonates and it makes it real. You know, we can all get there and hear the stats of, you know, nine Australians commit suicide every single day and seven of those are blokes. Mm. Funny enough, when we started the six Bs, The stats were eight and six, and I had my eyes open to the fact that the six B's was a bit of a tribute to those six blokes that that lost their fight daily to uh, the Demons. Hmm. Unfortunately, now those numbers have gone up to nine and seven, but to have these blokes like Grog and Sambo stand up in front of a bunch of blokes and pull their strength out of their own struggles to tell that story Hmm. just gives it substance makes it real it's authentic mike it's just it's the real deal so if they want to
2: support you they can just go to the six Bs web page you can find it there's a link off your twitter profile obviously so six Bs, and there's a little bit of merch there you can buy you can buy a panicking or a pair of shorts or something and that helps pay the way and basically you've got information there about your upcoming events and all that sort of thing don't you
4: that's right, Mike. yeah. With a bit of a hand from uh, Andrew Young from Ballarat in Victoria, he set the website up for us, Growth Point Ag. And I, I just wanted the website there because not everybody does social media. Yeah. And it was just an opportunity to leave a footprint in a different format, basically. So it's been well received. I'll put it that way. And, yeah. Yeah. It's been rewarding, mate. No worries. Well, thanks for joining us on the show,
2: Brad. It's been great to talk to you. And we'll put the information out there in the show notes how they can contact you. Any time you ever feel like getting back or want to promote an event, let me know, mate. We'll give
4: you a hand with that. Uh, Mike, appreciate that. I really bloody appreciate you connecting with the message. and It's all of these little connections and positive feedback that you receive that just bolsters the resolve and reinforces the fact that the message is real and it's required and we're not just pissing in the wind. (laughs) I really appreciate it, Mike. Safe travels, everyone, and look forward to catching up with you one time soon, mate, when you're back over this way. Well, it could happen. You never know. Nah, no, very good, very good. You might need to get over and cart some grain for us this harvest. Uh, uh, Hopefully we've all got a bit to shift.
2: I get people saying, why don't you come over here and drive over here for a couple of weeks. All over Australia, mate, people say, come and have a look what we do. I'd love to have more time for it, but uh, like you, I've got to work for a living.
4: Yeah, no, that is the shame that work gets in the way of a pretty enjoyable life. Yeah. But we both know you've got to pay the bills to move forward. So Indeed. But yeah, thanks again, mate. really appreciate the chat.
2: Well, thanks for bullshitting with me, mate. We'll catch you later.
4: Cheers, mate. All the best.
6: Number 1 you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you doing just smile and tell
1: them never better
0: We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say "G'day, how are ya?" No, I mean, how are you really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Long leading the charge in the Australian country music scene with his soulful voice and earthy sound, here's Aussie music star Travis Collins with his new single, One of Them Nights.
6: Up golden on the rise. She got that reckless in her eyes. We came crazy in the air. Girl, I know how to get us there. Been waiting all day for one of them nights. Waiting all day for one of them nights. Waiting all day for one of them nights. One of them sundown stars. Where it wants Ain't no sign Telling us to stop I'll hold you close Till the sky turns red One of them nights When you don't go to bed One of them Sundays
4: Kermy here from Trucking with Kermy. I listen to On the Road podcast
1: every week on the Australian Big Rig's Road Show, and when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with
0: Kermy
4: on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you.
0: It's time for that's what you think.
2: Adam Gibson, risk assessment engineer from NTI, mate. Let's talk about driver licensing and training and driver shortages, mate. What have you got to say? Have you got anything worthwhile to say?
3: Yeah, so I took the opportunity to speak on this up at the NRFA conference Hmm. because it's one of the most common issues and it's been rattling around with increasing volume for the last five years. As unemployment goes down, the shortage of drivers comes to front of mind. Indeed. The first thing I'll say is... It's actually a series of related but independent problems that we've got issues around satisfaction with licensing quality, but that isn't necessarily about the standards for the license. If if, if the requirement is you must be able to reverse for 50 metres, changing that to you must be able to reverse for 500 doesn't matter if people are getting their licenses despite the fact they didn't reverse at all. Mm. So the first thing we need to do is we need to separate issues with the quality of the standards, with the competency requirements from their implementation. Essentially trust, assurance and integrity in the licensing scheme. And we've seen as different states grapple with issues around uh, dishonesty and fraud in that space, I think it's safe to say we've seen the lowest barrier to getting a license be sort of chased around the country to the state, which has been the longest since they had found some issues. Mm -hmm. And I think there's got to be a smarter way there. I think we can actually come up with specifications for how we assure that process. How do we check that it's actually being done? Mm -hmm. So the lead in this space is probably New South Wales and Victoria, with requiring dash camera footage of all of the assessment. But I think we can go a step further and have a specification for license-issuing bodies for what percentage of those videos they'll actually check. Yeah. You know, that it should be, that if it's a new licensing issuer, so if it's a new school or it's a new trainer at that school, that the number is 10 times higher than it would be for one that's been issuing it for a while, but they will do a minimum number of spot checks against each issuer. The other lesson I think we can bring here comes out of things like safety certificates like vehicle roadworthiness inspections, yeah. which is that the failure to retain the evidence, that is, Accidentally losing the video or forgetting to hit record should be treated the same as though you never actually did the assessment at all. Right. Because that reduces the incentive to try to defraud and skirt the system. And it shifts the burden from whatever inspector you're sending out to try to prove that you didn't do it, instead shifting it to the school to prove that they did.
2: Mm. I have concerns over the whole training providers doing the assessments. I, I really do. I think since we handed off and privatised that arrangement, I think that's when the fraud and the issues that we've had, and every single state's had incidents of it, so it's no good pointing at Western Australia or New South Wales and saying you guys are the worst. Everyone's had it. So since we've sort of pushed that off, I think it's got worse. Do you feel
3: that? On the one hand, I think the risk of fraud unquestionably increases when you go to an outsourced model, hmm. but it doesn't go away. You know, it's not as though public servants are immune to financial incentives.
2: They're not paragons of virtue. (laughs) I think the real problem
3: here is when the decision is made to outsource these functions, Mm. the assumption is that the same level of integrity exists in the private sector as it exists in the public sector. And so no frameworks are put in place for checking, or if they are, very quickly they are defunded. Mm. And so making sure that costed into the licence process is a sufficient level of checking that makes fraud extremely difficult and that the penalties uh, imposed are so sufficiently large and that the barriers to entry are are real enough. Mm. It doesn't stop us from also needing to revisit the frameworks and competency standards that go into licences, but when you hear people complaining that this driver who just gotten his licence basically couldn't drive the vehicle at all, Mm. that's not a problem with the standards. That's a problem with the process and its integrity.
2: I honestly worry about the process but you also said there, we've got to really decide what problems we're trying to solve.
3: A license is not the be-all and end-all. Mm. You could imagine a, a, an alternative world where there was no licenses required to drive heavy vehicles. We would still expect people to put sensible controls in place. Mm. A driver's license, particularly a heavy vehicle driver's license, is not what I would call complete. That just because you've got your MC, Mike, hmm. doesn't mean the day you got it that you had all the skills you needed to drive dangerous goods tankers.
2: No, oh, absolutely.
3: I don't think as an industry we want a complete license. Imagine if it cost $40,000 and took four months to get a basic HC license because they wanted you to do livestock and they wanted you to do bulk DG, package DG, drive powder tankers, large machinery, paper reels, steel coil, pipe. It would be absurd. Hmm. So. A license will only ever be a reasonably coarse sieve. It takes out a minimum standard around the basic controls of the vehicle. It should be normal, and we should expect as an industry to need to train our people more beyond just that
2: license. Well, this is it. I mean, if you're going to do it, if you're going to drive a fuel tanker, then you've got to go and have the safe to load or SPL qualification, and you've got to go and have the terminal qualifications as well. I've got to have a dangerous goods license to do dangerous goods in a tanker. So you've got the tanker training plus the dangerous goods training. But other aspects of transport don't seem to have that. I mean, there's the load restraint handbook, which you're supposed to know and go through. But who actually does the training on that? Hardly anyone. The load restraint guide itself, it's a
3: well-produced document, Hmm. but it doesn't give you the skills you need to do it practically. I've got a few carriers, mostly larger, that do some really great stuff in this space. Hmm. If you're doing friction-based, tie-down type load restraints, so throwing a strap over some pallets, Mm. unless you've actually had a chance to see it instrumented, how do you know what 300 kilograms worth of tension feels like when you're leaning on that ratchet versus what 150 kilograms of tension feels like? Because that number is really critical. Mm. And so if have got a few operators that have load cells on some straps and chains so that the drivers can actually feel what that field. It doesn't matter as much for direct restraint, like cross chains for tying a bulldozer on, mm. but for pull-down friction restraint, most people are only assuming that because the load hadn't fallen off at the other end, that must be good enough. Mm. And the requirements under the HVNL for load restraint, and in non H V L jurisdictions, they're the same, are actually more than that. The forces involved longitudinally are meant to be roughly equivalent to crashing into a car. Awesome. It's a great measure. Oh, and it means that simply that it hasn't fallen off mm. is not proof that you did your job. And that can be quite misleading. It gives a false sense of security that you're going to be compliant. Mm. The next thing I think was worth talking about is I'm, I'm not more my view. It's not necessarily something I'm planning to do some more work with my colleagues on mm. is I, I'm not, entirely comfortable with the current split up inside of licenses yeah and so i made a chart that looked at what's the heaviest thing that you can what i call practically drive on each category of licenses is combination mass yep so you've got about nine ton on a car license a four and a half ton car towing a four and a half ton trailer on a light rigid you're looking at about i think we're at 16 ton you know 15 on the truck and then what eight on the trailer or 17 anyway a bit over 20 on a medium rigid, 40 on a HR, then it jumps to 70 or 72, or whatever, on a HC. And then all the I had to somewhere <laughs> about 216, 224, the heavier end of the, how I put a mega quad, I think, over in WA. Yeah. So how is it possible that in a 20 ton spread, we need three license categories but then in a hundred and forty ton spread, it's all in one. Yeah. That the same license that lets you drive a nineteen meter general access pocket B double also lets you drive a sixty-meter super quad over two hundred tonne GCM. It feels to me that and it's probably never gonna happen. Yeah. I'm not convinced of the merits of the r and MR license. And similarly, it feels like we could have more granularity, some sort of more division in the MC space. Mm although I probably wouldn't do it on mass. I actually think it would be more sensible to look at, I would say a B-double and a B-triple are more akin and can be covered under the same license than even a 30-metre PBS A-double, let alone a 36-metre double road train.
2: Well, having driven some of the biggest trucks in Australia, I can tell you now they're a very different thing to drive than basic B-double. I'll tell you what, they stop a lot better than the B-double, surprisingly enough.
3: Once you've got EBS working, so every single brake on that combination is, is kicking in in perhaps 300 milliseconds. Yeah. The way that large combinations stop is just transformed by the difference between how that will stop compared to a traditional dumb pneumatic brake system on a triple road train mm. is huge no, chalk and cheese.
2: You stand on the brakes on your traditional type one road train that's got no ABS, EBS, drum brakes, et cetera. And you stand on the brakes, you'll end up with your dolly and your dog trailer somewhere very, very untidy. Mm. But if you stand on the brakes in a super quad, you might flat spot a few tires, but the bloody thing will be straight. There's no doubt about that.
3: And there are some good things happening in this licensing space. I think it's worth calling out, mostly driven out of the state transport
2: associations. What we might do before you get too far away, Adam, we'll just have a quick break now and hear from NTI, the sponsors of the show, and we will come back and we'll talk about some safety initiatives and some ideas maybe about how to make the licensing driving situation a little bit better.
0: There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
2: Welcome back. Adam Gibson, Risk Assessment Engineer with NTI, is back with us. Mate, we've been talking about licences, licensing systems and braking and how some of these vehicles handle and talking about the variations in the size of the vehicle you drive from the licensing. There are a number of initiatives that are happening across Australia and we want to talk about those now for a few minutes. Mate, what have you got to say about what's going on, for example, in Victoria and Queensland?
3: There's been a fair bit of work mostly around driver shortages, driven mostly out of the state associations and often with the support of their state governments. In Victoria and Queensland, we've had what I would describe as a focus on job ready training. So rather than what is the minimum skill set required to get the license, Hmm. it's what's the skill set that the employers, they're going to hire these people at the end, what are they asking for and how do we deliver that? And that's really about bringing a higher level of quality and and sort of stopping the race to the bottom from the driver trainers and the driver schools. Mm. I'm a a huge fan of uh, Armstrong's driver training down in Victoria. Got a lot of time for the team there and they've done some really great work. The ideal course is a nine-day course. And what's all of the things an employer is going to want you to have been exposed to before you walk into the yard that first day? It's some really great stuff there. Similar initiatives in Western Australia, again, with government support to come in and and help carry some of the cost of that training. But I I have to call out one element of this that I really love and Cam Dumsney from the Western Roads Federation talks about drawing on what he calls the old and bold, Mm. where he's found this pool of drivers that are either fully retired or semi-retired that he can put in the passenger seat of the truck uh, with some of these newer entrants to the industry to get the sort of experience and the sort of input that comes from 2 million kilometers behind the wheel. And it's more than just how to steer and and how to do all the actual driving tasks. It's some of the etiquette of transport, the little things that we all would love if every driver got to sort of learn at their father's knee.
5: Mm.
3: And this manages to sort of achieve a little bit of that. The final one, and probably the one that I think is going to need the most industry support if we want to see it rolled out more broadly is in the current licensing structures there's a reliance on what i will call duration mm. you must hold your hr for 12 months before you can go and get your hc
2: irrespective if you actually drive one or not time
3: and that is the key element that there's this mistaken assumption that just because you've held the license for that long that you've been driving that vehicle for that time mm. and i can understand in a land before mobile telephones and electronic work diaries and dash cameras why that was the best that could be done. And so you end up with quite a long time period. 12 months is a heck of a lot longer than it takes to train someone to drive a truck safely, even a larger combination safely. And what SATA has been working on, working with their Department of Infrastructure and Transport and their DIT, is what I'm going to call, and it's not their name for it, experience in lieu of duration. Yeah. They've got a pilot transport business, someone I consider to be a, a close friend, but I, I won't name them in that I haven't checked with them first, mm. that said, well, can we put our experienced driver in the truck with them, film it all with dash cameras, logbook it all so you know how much it is, and then at the end of that process, they're still going to pass through a standard driving test anyway. So there's still an independent validation that they have the skills they're meant to have. It took a bit of backwards and forwards with the department, but I believe they've landed on 120 or 125 hours of supervised driving experience, and at the end of the process, again, they still see a normal license test. And I think that's a really sensible approach. Uh, I saw in the news the absolutely phenomenal John Mitchell, a very forward-thinking operator of Western Australia, battling with the same thing in WA. He had drivers coming in from the UK who held the equivalent of their HR license, then had to sit there for 12 months before he could put them into anything larger. Mm. And if John and his team are happy that that person should at least be allowed to sit a licence test, Mm. saying no to that is to say that we don't have much faith at all in the licence test itself and surely we should be trying to address that problem rather than making drivers that have been supervised, have been out there on the road doing the task under the watchful eye of a more experienced driver... Mm making them sit around for another 11 months while they wait for that 12-month period to clock over.
2: It seems crazy because we do lose a lot of young guys who really want to go out and drive trucks. We lose them to other jobs. By the time we'll let them be driving a combination, they can actually make a living out of driving, don't we?
3: Speaking frankly, there's some really thankless tasks in that LR and MR space. Mm. A close personal friend of mine, I was best man at his wedding, mm. was doing hand load and unload deliveries of flour and supplies to local bakeries. So it was the only work he could get with the HR license that he held. That wasn't the job that he wanted to be doing. He wanted to be out on the highway.
2: Yeah, you couldn't pay me enough to do that, mate.
3: Well, we couldn't pay him enough either. And now he works servicing machinery inside of printing and fabrication businesses. But we lost him to the industry and we will not get him back.
2: Yeah. I mean, experience in lieu of duration is probably, to me, one of the most sensible ideas at all. I mean, one of the commonest, I suppose, comparisons would be that you can fly an aircraft when you're 16.
3: It makes a whole pile of sense. It really does. Like, for me, if there's concerns over the rigour and integrity of the licence test at the end of those 120 hours, hmm. I would propose to the transport departments, fine, hmm. make the test twice as long, but let us go.
2: Yeah, well, speaking from experience, I know some of those good old country boys that we encounter in north New South Wales, western Queensland, that they young blokes can drive a lot better than some fellas that have actually done the licences on the east coast, and I'd be quite comfortable with them driving road trains and things. I suppose it's just a matter of getting your head around it, isn't
3: it? The pilot operator for this South Australian experiment said that they've got drivers that come through that, honestly, by the end of the third day, Mm. the supervising driver would be more than happy that they would pass any licence test that they would experience anywhere in the country. But they still have to sit there to clock up the 120-something hours before they do. Mm. They're willing to live with that. The original proposal, I think, was more than double that for the duration, and it got to a point where it was simply uneconomic, that even in a time of shortage of drivers, having to pay two lots of wages for months Mm. wasn't something that operator could bear.
2: Well, we've got to be realistic, but we've also, at the end of the day, got to produce a driver that's capable of soloing, for the want of a better description, Mm -hmm. and the experience in lieu of duration thing seems to work, but it's got to be done properly.
3: Yeah, and I think the same discussion we had around integrity earlier, you have to have dash camera footage of all of that 120 hours mm. and failing to retain the dash camera footage should have the same consequences as not having done the experience at all. And all of those things, using the technology and the tools we have available today, we have better options than simply sit down and wait 12 months while you do a desk job. Mm. So why don't we make them available?
2: Indeed. Adam Gibson, thanks for joining us again on the road, mate. It's a great pleasure. I always learn something when I talk to you and we'll see you about the traps, I suppose. Thanks for having me, Mike. Talk soon.
3: This is Adam Gibson from NTI and you're listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy. For all
0: the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. G'day, Mike. Had a couple of warmish days there, mate, but it feels like winter's back now.
2: Winter is back, and with a vengeance, mate. Very, very bloody cold. I had frost on the bonnet this morning.
0: Frost on the bonnet.
2: Frost on the bonnet this morning, yep.
0: Speaking of the bonnet, have you got that moth on there yet?
2: No, I haven't, mate, no. Okay. No. All right.
0: Well, it has been rather cool. The last few mornings up here, even in Brisbane, it's been quite chilly. I was out and about quite early the other morning when I got a short, sharp text message from the wife saying that windows had frozen and couldn't open it. Yep. So I sent back a text saying just pour a little warm water over it then gently tap it with a hammer. About 10 minutes later, I get another text from her saying tried that, now the computer won't work at all.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear.
0: The truck driver who was given a 22-year sentence following his conviction for causing the deaths of four police officers on Melbourne's eastern freeway has reportedly appealed the sentence because he believes it's too harsh.
2: 22 years for four lives. Mm. You're a scumbag. Go to jail, go directly to jail, stay in jail. That's where you deserve to be, mate. There you go. End of comment. (laughs) I mean, really. As far as I'm concerned, this bloke's a scumbag. Mm. He was an ice user. There was nothing good about this guy. Yeah. Now, you can question whether the police officers contributed to their own demise by the way they handled the situation, all that sort of stuff, for all of these arguments. Yep. But they wouldn't be dead if this bloke wasn't a scumbag. Fair call. So, scumbags go to jail, stay in jail, Mr. Singh, and I hope they bloody never let you out. You disgust me.
0: He might take his appeal in and they might decide to double it instead.
2: Yeah, well, that'd be justice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? What? Four lives. Four lives, mate, Yeah. for 22 years. Makes them worth like six years of life. Yeah. Can you look someone in the eye and say your family member's worth six years? Yeah. You're just a scumbag, mate.
0: In response to the deaths of four workers in separate incidents over the past two months, WorkSafe Victoria is reminding employers and workers of the hazards involved in working around trucks
2: yeah and you can't be too careful. There's more dangerous things than driving the truck itself when it comes to handling the loads or interacting with the environment where the trucks are. These four drivers that have lost their lives in the truck area haven't been driving when that's happened. So one died when he was crushed between a tipper and a front end loader mm. another was a traffic controller when a trailer tipped on him while he was unloading gravel, another a farm worker unloading a bag of seed. And another one died in hospital after head injuries from falling off a truck. Mm. So there's still workplace injuries and deaths and they need to be counted, I think. You've just got to assess your risk and sometimes there are exclusion zones for a reason, you know, give yourself an escape route. I know that I've had some horrible close calls over the years, particularly when I was carting timber. Mm. It's a very, very dangerous environment around a truck when you're loading and unloading and I would encourage everyone to keep an eye out Go to the AU webpage and have a read of the story. Yep. There's some advice there on what you can do to mitigate the dangers.
0: With Labor now holding the federal reins, they've been quick to act on their pre-election promise to overhaul the nation's main infrastructure advisor, Infrastructure Australia. Yeah. Hmm.
2: And they could stand a bit of an overhaul too.
5: Hmm.
2: Without getting too deeply into it, they like the idea of cutting ribbons and shiny new bridges and things like that, but they don't really keep an eye on what's going on. There's been plenty of recommendations made to them by various groups things that should be done. So we're going to have a review, and I think the minister is on the right course there, just as long as it doesn't turn into a review of a review of a review, and we actually get something out of it at the end. Mm. I mean, you could save yourself a review. You could ring up 25 truck drivers. Just ring Rod Anaphy, and he could tell you what needs to be fixed. Yep. Start there. That'd be a good place to start.
0: Yep. Committees and reviews, they're all good, aren't
2: they? Well, I love a good committee. Yeah. I really do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mike, just a brief mention. The ATO has received 727 tip-offs about road freight operators who've been allegedly dodging their tax and superannuation obligations in the last financial year.
2: Yeah, and look, this is nothing new... There are a lot of companies out there that are a bit dodgy on their superannuation. we all have seen it. We all know the stories. I think just about everyone knows someone who's been ripped off at one point. This is just a timely reminder that it is tax season. Make sure that you only make your legitimate claims and make sure that your employer's actually paying your super because when you retire, it's nice for it to be there.
0: That's for sure.
2: 727 though, mate, that's a lot, isn't
0: it? It is, it's the size of a jet, really. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you've spoken about this before, but an Instagram video that shows a shocking display of road rage with impatient drivers who think they can do anything they like with impunity accompanies an article in Big Rigs penned by one Mike Williams. It's a good piece, bro.
2: Mate, I tell you, I could not believe it when I saw this video. Mm. These guys driving up the road playing, dodging cars, and they weren't giving up. They actually smacked into each other.
0: You almost get the feeling they were actually enjoying it.
2: Well, <laughs> from some of the hand gestures, I'm not sure. I'm sure someone was unhappy, but mm. the sad fact is this is the sort of thing we're seeing out here on the road now. Everyone's impatient. Yep. It's a manifestation of what I talked about last week, Yep. and all I would say is if you have video of these things, send it to the company that owns the truck if you know who it is send it to the police. Let them sort it out. We don't need these clowns on the road sharing the road with us. We really don't.
0: That's for sure. If you want to know more about it, I suggest you get into Big Rigs and have a read of Mike's story. It's a good one. Thanks, mate. Mate, ten people were injured in a nine vehicle crash on Adelaide's southeastern freeway earlier this week, with a Queensland truckie being arrested and charged with a number of varying offences.
2: Yep, they're going to throw the book at this bloke, and I'm a little bit torn about this, mate. This bloke has ended up in a horrible mess at the bottom of the hill. All the carnage there. Lucky no one's been seriously injured or killed. He should have ended up in the safety ramp. That's where he should have ended up. Mm. The police are saying that he doesn't have a license. Well, I don't know. I don't want to cut the guy any slack, but he's 60 years old. And um, does he not have the right license for the class of uh, the truck, or does he just not have a license at all? Or mm. there's a lot of detail to come out of there. He's been charged with nine counts of dangerous driving, occasioning harm, mm. and a swathe of other charges as well. Mm. The simple fact is the industry have been talking for 10 years about needing a third safety ramp down there at the bottom of the hill, and there's plenty of technology that they can use. When I wrote about the safety ramps there, those ramps on that hill are probably amongst the best designed ones in the country anywhere. mm there are other technologies, though. They're talking about the space and the geometry of the bottom of the hill. Well, those wire ramps from America, the catch nets, yep. they wouldn't be a bad idea down there. And I think that Steve Shearer from SARTA was talking about that. And he's you know, right on the money. The simple fact is do we have to wait for another serious accident down there and for someone else to lose their life before we do anything about it? Is that what it takes? More death? Yeah. More carnage?
0: This wasn't the same spot, was it, where they had the truck parked at the bottom with the police crash into the back of me trailer on it,
2: yeah, it was actually, yeah,
0: so they moved that thing, have they?
2: <laughs> no, they've got the ramps open again now, mate and the police crash into me truck was sighted above the safety ramps, which is further up the hill, ah, okay, what's happened? this guy's he's gone down there now there's a couple of parts to this, yep. The first part is that the truck that he's driving is a little Mitsubishi. It's got an exhaust brake, not an engine brake, and there's a difference there. Mm. And, and I don't need to explain that to the drivers. Sure. Sometimes these exhaust brakes don't work that well. I don't need to explain that either because they're crap usually. Mm. And it's a little truck and it's got a big trailer on it. And from the look of the cartons and stuff in there, God knows how much it weighed but the traffic crowd will know to the last kilo how much it weighed by the end, I'm sure. Yeah. It's just overwhelmed the whole system. If it was an automatic or a manual, did he just fail to take control of the vehicle? Mm. What worries me is they're going to blame all this on the fact that he didn't have a license. Yeah. It's a contributing factor, certainly, but it's not the reason why it happened. So I really do hope they look at it further. I don't know where the simulator is that's supposed to stop all this. <laughs> I
0: was just thinking the same thing. That It's a bit like a UFO, isn't it? It's reportedly been seen, but no one knows where it is.
2: Well, there was a big splash and photo opportunities for all the bureaucrats when it was commissioned. Mm. And you listen to the people when they did the taking it to the streets there, talking to the witnesses, oh, drivers should be trained more. Yep. Now they're saying drivers should be trained more. Mm. Not long ago, we're happy to get four, five, seven visa holders and stick them in a truck and wave them bye-bye. I mean, make your mind up.
0: Yep. I reckon some official somewhere has got that simulator parked in their garage and they've converted it and used it as a camper trailer or
2: something. <laughs> mm. Playing video games on it with the kids.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: God knows, mate. I can't even find out where it is, and I've tried. All mm. right, let's move on, mate. we have got another quick mention to go before we go. Yes. I had a bit of a chat to a chap from the EPA the other day, and uh, Adam put him on to me. Adam Gibson from NTI put him on to me and said, They've done a manual about wheel fires and looking out for fires on trucks and things. Hmm. There's an interesting article there that's actually an ATN magazine where I've got the article from at the moment.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm pretty sure all of the trucking mags will have an article about it. We're going to get them on and we'll have a bit of a chat, do a bit of a, something to talk about, about wheel end fires and their manual, mate. Let's have a bit of a chat and see what it's all about. That'd be good. Well, there you go. That's me, mate. I'm done. All right, mate. Well, our
0: thought for the week, sort of, I guess, following on from your story last week and the story again this week about the road rage, mm. a little thing to consider, and that is, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to maintain a good attitude while you wait.
2: <laughs> How true is that? Uh,
0: something in it for all of us, as you would say.
2: Indeed. <laughs> Indeed, mate. Well, oh, as uh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Go
5: on,
0: die, you bastard.
2: <laughs> Someone's got me by the throat, copper. Uh, oh all right, thank you very much for that, mate.
0: Oh, good, buddy. You take it carefully out there and God bless you and all who sail upon you.
2: Thank you so much. See ya. See
0: ya. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rings, Australia's national road transport newspaper.
2: G'day
7: everyone. This is Gordon, your favorite Canadian refugee trucker living in America. Where, whilst hauling logs around the far northern reaches of Appalachia, I enjoy the on-the-road podcast with Mike and Andy. Keep it up with the news and history and everything that's good about trucking in the land down under. What a great show!
2: Thanks a bunch. Luke McCrone, Secretary of the Victorian Tippers United Has uh, come on the show, we had a bit of a quick chat We all saw with much interest the great line of tip trucks Winding their way slowly across the Westgate Bridge And past the steps of Parliament House in Melbourne the other day Blowing their horns and that Mate, what are you bastards up to down there?
7: Well, it's all in pursuit of a fuel levy, Mike, We're, I suppose one of the few sectors of the transport industry that aren't getting paid a fuel levy, and we've been able to get away with it, I suppose, for years. But the current situation with diesel and the removal of the rebate by the government has made it untenable without a levy. So we're fighting pretty hard to try and get one introduced.
2: Didn't Andrews agree to one like three months
7: ago, though? Yeah, that's right. So... A lot of the work here in Victoria at the moment is on government infrastructure projects, uh, the Westgate Tunnel, level crossing removals, you know, all sorts of infrastructure that's been upgraded here in Victoria. And the state government actually sets the rates for tip trucks on those jobs. Right. And they've got a cost model they use to do that. And they adjust that periodically from time to time. Mm. And about three or four months ago, they had diesel in there at, I think it was $1.20 from memory, like very low, way below where it needed to be. Yep. So we kicked up a bit of a fuss then and we said we were gonna do a protest, and same as one we did the other day. And the government came to us in a bit of a flurry and said, No, 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 we can sort this out and they adjusted the rates. They put fuel in it, I think, with dollar eighty five and said to us that they'd move towards a fuel levy in the next three months and that they'd consult with us, you know, guys that actually own trucks, run trucks, know how much it costs to put one on the road. Mm. And despite numerous attempts by myself and the VTU to start those discussions, nothing, absolutely nothing came back. And then we heard the other day that they were going to make an adjustment to the rate,
2: but no fuel levy. Right. And uh, no discussions with us. And that was it. That was the last straw. Right, so you, Blake, decided you are just going to have a bit of a protest. I see you've got pretty broad coverage on the regular mainstream media. Yep. What's going to be happening down the track, mate? I mean, as it stands right now, you guys are just nowhere, aren't you?
7: Yeah, look, we've made a little bit of progress since Wednesday's protest. Mm. Uh, we've been in touch with some advisors from the Premier's office. We're meeting next week with Industrial Relations Victoria, who've got a hand in setting those rates. So hopefully we can make some headway, but if we don't, then we'll look to ramp up the campaign to
2: you know, apply more pressure and hopefully get the result. Well, what does ramping up the campaign look like, mate?
7: Oh, look, that'll be a matter for the committee, but there's a few options on the table. We could just go for an indefinite stoppage. We could look at doing some protests around the Westgate Tunnel Project, which is the state government's marquee infrastructure project. We could look at dropping our trailers and only working tandems which would be a big problem because there's just not enough trucks at the moment to move the dirt that they need to move. So if we were only working tandem, it would make the problem even worse. So there's a few options available to us,
2: and we'll pick one and go for it. Do you have enough support to do it to make it have an effect, though? I mean, is there enough guys angry about it to say, listen, this is what we're going to do? It looked like you were fairly united on the telly the other day, but we all know that you know, there's plenty of outlaw truckers until it comes time to do outlaw trucker stuff, and then they just go missing in action. So yeah, how are you blokes looking there? There's probably about 1,500 trucks in Melbourne doing the sort of work that
7: we're talking about. Yep. We had about 150 of them at our protest the other day, which is only a small percentage. Mm. But for every truck that was at that protest, there would have been two or three more parked up at home because mm. we started it two weeks earlier with a 24-hour stoppage and we had, I think, 350 came to our meeting and about 1,000 trucks parked up across Melbourne. Wow. Wow. Since then, we've made a little bit of progress with some of our hirers, mm. so the government work makes up, I don't know, look, I'm only guessing, but I'd say the government work makes up somewhere between 30 to 40% of the work in Victoria at the moment. Right. The rest of the work on non-government projects, we have been able to secure a bit of a rate increase there for a lot of the hirers, so look, we are making progress, it's just whether or not we end up with a fuel levy, that's the sort of question.
2: Mm. Oh mate. Well, Victorian Tippers United, I suppose if uh, someone's got a tipper, they should know about you guys in Victoria anyway. They should. Yeah, they should. And if they want to contact you, mate, have you got a web page, Facebook page, mobile number or something like that they can contact you on? Look, the best way is probably our Facebook page, which is Victorian Tippers United. If
7: they look that up on Facebook, they'll be able to join. I've got to answer a couple of quick questions so we know whether they're from the industry or not. Yep. But if I've got a tipper, they shouldn't have any trouble with that. Or they can shoot us an email at victippers at gmail.com. right oh, no worries.
2: All right, Luke, well, keep us posted, mate. I'd like to know what happens with the developments down the track and uh, good luck with your fight. No worries, mate. Thanks for your interest. Good on you. And thanks for your podcast. It's good for the industry. No worries at all, mate. You take care. See you, buddy. See you.
0: Taking us out of the show this week, here's 18-year-old identical twins Callum and Jackson, better known around the Aussie music circuit as Bo Ness, with their brand new single, Still Young.
1: i to the sunrise turns out we the can be the only while
0: well that's the show for another week thanks for coming along for the ride On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Sometime in the next decade, it would be good. Andy says... Should be all right, yep. And our guest says... Thoroughly enjoyable. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.